listening to the weekly sermon podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. If you'd like to learn more about CBC, check out our website at cbcofsavannah.org. And now this week's sermon from the series Identity, a study on the book of Ephesians. Father, the prophet warned us that that the wise man was not to boast in his wisdom, the rich man in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he knows and he understands you. And Father, that is our our boast this morning. Not because of anything we have done, but because what Christ has done for us. And so I ask as we open his word, uh, that you would just speak to us through it. That you would use me, a broken man, um, a weak man to exalt a risen Savior, that your spirit would fall fresh on me, empower me to build, to encourage your body. That's, that's my heart, Lord. That is your heart, that there would be maturity to a mature man, uh, building up and edifying and, and, and you sanctifying. And so I just ask that you would do that through me. I cannot do it on my own. And so I just cry out to you that, for help so that the name of Jesus would be exalted, Father, so that you are glorified in the power of your spirit, which you've sent to seal us for the day of redemption to empower us, um, to lead us. And so in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. And go ahead. If you have a Bible, turn to Ephesians 4. If you don't, there should be one in the seat in front of you. You can grab it. And we're on a page in that Bible, 634, I believe. 634. One of my unofficial jobs now is I am the coach of the 7- and 8-year-old baseball team at the Southside Y wasn't originally. I'm not officially the coach. There's a really sweet woman who's officially a coach, but she doesn't really know anything about baseball, so I'm kind of the coach. Uh, she just is a sweet woman, and I'm the baseball coach. Um, but I had to lose, when I saw that I, that was the need that I had to kind of take over that um, that role, I, I had delusions of grandeur, I think. I thought, you know, I'm going to be like Norman Dale and Hoosiers. I'm going to be like, oh, what kind of hand have I been dealt here? We're going to scrimmage the Sand Nats. We're going to build this team. We're going to take it to the top of the YMCA League. Right, And then I saw our, our first practice. And I realized that half of the children that showed up had never seen a baseball in their lives. They're still wearing cowboy boots to practice and shorts. Um, and, you know, one of them is still... Tr- the, the ball rolls to him. He doesn't understand this, the glove. And so he tries to use his feet to stop the ball. I'm like, that, no, no holy sport uses their feet. Those are unregenerate sports. So, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I'm just telling, I'm speaking the truth in love, y'all. I'm just telling you. And so I'm thinking, where do I begin? Where do I start? How, what do I need to, I mean, I just, I don't know what, even know what to do. I mean, we're not going to be scrimmaging the sand nets. We're lucky if we, we get out of an inning. So where do I begin? And so I, I had to think, I'm used to coaching high school baseball. We're working on particulars. I had to go back to the basics. And the most basic thing for anyone who's played t-ball, little, you know, kickball, anything, the most basic instruction you hear, the first thing is what? Is keep your eye on the ball. All right? Whether you're catching or throwing or hitting, you keep your eye. 
It's the most basic instruction. And here's the thing about that instruction. It's not only true for seven and eight-year-olds who play t-ball. It's true for A-Rod and Hank Aaron and anyone who gets to the very top of the top. They continually have to keep their eye on the ball. No matter what level you get to, the most simplest of instructions is still essential. And so here I got this new team. We got new uniforms. We got new hats. We're like, we have the same colors as the Bad News Bears. It's beautiful. Everything's new. Everything's new. And I got to start at the beginning. And it's very similar to what really Paul has kind of been hammering really this entire book. Here's this. You're on a new team. You're on team Jesus. Now you were on team Adam and you were dead in your trespasses and sins and you were heading the wrong direction. You were enemy of God. You are now on team Adam and you have been chosen. You've been forgiven and you've been elected and you've been all these great things. And so now he's saying, okay, now that you're on the team and you got the uniform and you've been clothed in my uniform, what, what does that look like? What is the most simplest of simplest instructions is keep your eye on the ball. And today he's going to just very, very practical with this church and with us. There's no deep, rich, super lapsarianism, blah, blah, millennialism. There's not there's some rich, rich thing. He's just going to say, look, now that you were on his team, now that you were in Christ, this is keeping your eye on the ball. This is the very beginning. This is the simple stuff. But whether you've been saved for five days or 80 years, it's still the same. These are the things that we need to be committed to. This is the rules that we need to continue to come back to. And understand before we look at these just five, just very practical, simple, keep your eye on this things. Understand this is not how you get on the team. It's not. I didn't have these kids go up. Okay, once you catch five balls in a row, you're on my team. You get the hat and you get the uniform. That some director down at the Y elected them to be on the team. Just like you were chosen by God to be on his team. So this is not, how do I get on the team? This is now that you're on the team, now that you have the uniform, now that you were in Christ, this is keeping your eye on the ball. Very simple stuff, but not simple to do. Simple to understand? Yes. But simplistic? mm so let's look at our text, Ephesians 4, verse 25. We'll just, we're going to keep our eye on the ball. We're going to keep our eye on the ball. It starts in verse 25. First word, therefore. If you study the Bible for any length of time, you ought to, first, as soon as you see therefore, you ask what it's there for. And it's linking back to what he's just said. He's just told them that you put off the old man, past tense. That you are renewing constantly your mind. That you put on, past tense, the new man. When you, when you drew the line in the sand, so to speak, and you followed Christ and you repented of sin and, and, and put your faith in him, you, you took the old off and you put the new on. And he says, because of that, because you've done that, and because you have been putting us, that you've already put aside falsehood, it's past tense. Do what? Therefore, having put aside falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. Why? For we're members of one another. Right? He says, because you've put aside lies and the lies of the old man and deceitful corruption lust. We talked about that last week. He says, each one of you, and underline that, every single one of you, speak the truth. He says, he says be honest. Tell the truth. Why? Because we're one of each other. We're, we're members. Is truthfulness important in unity? I mean, in a marriage? Is intimacy and tr- is, is truth important to that? In, in a relation, business relationship, is honesty important? Right? If you're, in, if you're in, a, in a military unit, being able to trust the guy that's next to you, trust your co-pilot, is, that an import, is trust important? Is truth important? Absolutely. He says, you're on the new team. The new team speaks the truth. Like, and we could go everywhere, but here, here's your keep your eye. Keep your eye on your integrity. Is be honest. 
Very simple, right? Just keep writing your integrity. Be honest. And we could talk about this for, I mean, we can go everywhere. Let's just talk about a few very practical areas. Let's just talk about little white lies, right? Let's talk about students, plagiarism. That's, that's no big deal. This guy's been dead 600 years. Nobody cares if I quote him, right? Let's talk about just, oh, honey, I'm on the way home. Yeah, I'm on the way home. As you get your keys out. The boss calls, hi, how's that, how's that project coming along that I signed you? Oh, it's great. Open file right now. Been, been working on it for some time now. Right? Kids. Did you br- Mom said, did you brush your teeth? Yeah, I brush my teeth. It's just something so simple. Why do you have green spinach hanging down your face then, you know? Little white lies. Exaggeration. Yeah, I got a 4.7 when I was in high school. Really? On a 4.0 scale? That's great. I used to lift 736 pounds when I was in high school. And why did you not make the NFL? And the JV team, for that matter? Right? See, exaggeration and lies, ultimately the root is pride because it makes ourselves look better. And we always lie to make ourselves look better. We don't lie to make ourselves look worse. Even little kids, when they're talking about how their dad is the president, and my dad's the president of the president. And, you know, why? Because it makes them look better. Because he's my dad. And so there's a, an exaltation of self. He said, just speak the truth. Speak the truth. Exaggeration. And no truth from a certain point of view. We don't have Obi-Wan Kenobi here. Right? Obi-Wan Kenobi tells Luke Skywalker, your dad's dead. Then he find out later, no, your dad's not really dead. It's Darth Vader. But I thought you told my dad was dead. Well, from a certain point of view, he is dead. No, we don't need that in the church. Right? No certain point of view. Well, from this angle, it is true. What does the definition of the word the mean? Right? Speak the truth. Just be honest, straightforward, faithful. When you say you're going to do something, do it. Make your yes, yes, and your no, no. And when you don't, you own up to it and you repent and say, I was wrong. That's the simplicity of it. Even in the context of like gossip. Right? Pray for my husband. He's a blank. Whatever. That's not, a, that's not gossip. That's a prayer request. Pray for my wife. She's a such and such. Not a, not, a, not a gossip. That's a prayer request. How about we pray that you stop gossiping about your wife? How about that? Right? right? Speak the truth. And even when there's hard truth, and sometimes there is, what's the caveat that he has already said earlier in the chapter? Speak the truth in what? Love. Well, I'm just keeping it real. Really? Are you keeping it real? Is there love? See, truth without love is, is brutal. Truth without love is, is brutality. It's not decent. Right? And so what we just need to be is a group of people who in, in humbleness, when there's, when there's a falsehood, honey, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm late. I, I, I meant to be home, but I'm not really on my way home. I just, I just picked up the keys, but I'm on my way now. And we just own it up. And you'll find how, how often do we just, li- I'm not talking about lying on, you know, on the grand jury. I mean, that's, most of us are not that bold, but just the little things. And when you think about this and when this comes to your mind, you just repent and own it and say, okay, and you'll find that you'll speak the truth more and you'll model truth more and there'll be intimacy. How about in the context of community and our small groups? Look, look, we, you need honesty and truth in these small groups and in these relationships. We can, the reason you are here, most of us, is because the reason you're on this team is because you were broken and you needed a savior. You didn't get it on this team because you earned your way on. You got on this team, Team Jesus, because you were broken and you were needy. And you couldn't save yourself. So everyone gets on the same way you were drafted because you couldn't get on yourself. Because you were a broken sinner. So we can get through that and stop pretending everything's great. And then we can get to the nitty gritty of doing life together and encouraging one another as long as the day is called the day. But as long as you pretend that everything's perfect, 
it's not going to get any better and you're not going to find encouragement and no one's going to be praying for you because they're not going to know because you're putting on a show. And it's fake. And the reason this is vital, and I think the reason he goes there first is because if, if we're on team Jesus, what does he say about himself? I am the way and I am the what? The truth. And since Christ is truth, then his people should be truth. So he says, keep your eye, basic stuff. Keep your eye on your integrity. Be honest. Business, be honest. Be honest, right? Don't retweet that unless you know it's true. Don't post it on Facebook just because someone did it, right? Be careful. Speak truth, right? Let's go to the next one. Verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Now, this is not an encouragement to be angry, right? Just be, you can be angry as long as you want, as long as you don't sin. That's not what he's saying. In fact, later on in the passage, he says, put aside all anger. And the justification is always for us. Well, Jesus was angry, so I can be angry. A couple things about that. Number one, he was God and you're not. All right. So that's number one. Okay. (laughs) Number two, every time Jesus is angry, it has nothing to do with him being offended. Nothing to do with him being someone saying something, doing something against him. He gets angry when he comes into the temple because they're, they're taking the father's name and the father's house and they're turning it into Walmart. Right? He gets angry at the hardness of the hearts of the Pharisees who are supposed to be shepherding the people towards him and instead they're leading him away. It has nothing to do with him. It's not him being offended. When he is insulted, when he is offended, when he is crucified, he has nothing but jo- love. Forgive them. They know what they're doing. And so there is a time when there is a righteous anger. Yes. When you see this Boston, this Boston terrorist attack, when, when you see a husband who, who has neglected his wife and walked out on the kids, that there's, there's something in you that's, that's righteous about that. But it cannot turn, lead to sin. And, and the way he says you don't is what? What, what is he, he says here? He says, don't let the sun go down in your anger. And that doesn't mean well, that we have to stay up till five in the morning. Because, you know, that, it's not the heart of the text. The heart is deal with it quickly. Because what happens if you get angry at 10 o'clock at night? Do you have to wait till the next day? I mean, is, is, the idea is not just this legalistic, well, it's, the sun is down and we have not done it. It's deal with it quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let it get that root of bitterness in you that will destroy you from the inside out. Deal with it quickly. Because if you don't, you are giving the devil an opportunity. You're giving him a footstool in your house. The devil hates Jesus. He hates the church. He hates pastors. He hates parents. He hates kids. He hates mommies and daddies loving each other. He hates roommates who are building each other up. And he will do everything he can to get a foothold. And if you don't deal and resolve anger quickly, you are giving him a place to come in and destroy. You're inviting the devil in to destroy you. Come on in and destroy my family. Come on in and destroy our church. Come destroy our small group. Come destroy my marriage. That's what you're doing. So he says, deal with it quickly. Don't, don't let it be unresolved. And so if you're the one that's always waiting for that person to apologize, I'm not coming unless he comes and apologizes to me. Or you're the one, your tone goes, root, update, scared, scared immediately. Right? Or you're that passive aggressive one. Roommate didn't take out the trash again. It's his week to do dishes, and I can't stand it when he doesn't do the dishes and he leaves his junk in the sink until you just explode someday. Right? Right? Unresolved. Like people don't just wake up after 25 years of marriage and say, I'm done. I just, it'd been a good 25 years, but I'm out. I want to do something different. It's because there's something that's been going on for a period of time. Right? So resolve it quickly. Deal with it. And here's, here's the second, keep your eye. Keep your eye on your emotions. Be under control. And you say, well, I can't control myself. When she goes outside the budget, it just drives me nuts. You can control yourself. I know you can. 
You can be yelling at someone in the house, the top of your lungs. The Girl Scouts are at the door. Hey, sweetie. Yes, I'll have some Thin Mints. Tell your mommy I said hello. Right? The next minute you're back at it. And I know you can control yourself. Do you know why? Because if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit of God. And the fruit of walking by the Spirit is gentleness and is self-control. So you have the ability to control. Right? Keep your eye on, on your emotions. Be under control. You, you have to learn to deal with it quickly. And look, we're all going to be disappointed. We're all going to be angry. We're all going to get frustrated. But I'm pretty sure that no anger in the car is justified anger. Maybe Duran Avenue. Maybe. Right? But there is no anger in the car that is a justified anger. That is a righteous anger. And so you have to ask when you're frustrated, when you're angry, what is it? Is it because I've been insulted? Is it because I've been hurt? Is it because I've been disappointed? And you have to resolve those things quickly. And, and we typically are, are most frustrated and angry with the people that we're closest with, right? Our kids, our wife, our parents, our employees, our boss, our par- whatever it is, our roommates. And those are the people that we need to be even more diligent. And so when there's an issue, you need to be able to talk to people. Maybe you need some time away. Great. Get, it, get 15, 20 minutes till you cool down. But you learn, have to learn how to talk through these things. Couples, instead of being accusational, you do this always and this is way you and I deserve this. Learn to speak. A soft answer turns away wrath. Learn to say things like, honey, when I make a meal and I spend you know, three hours making a meal and you're 15 minutes late, it makes me feel like you, you just don't appreciate me. Right? Instead of getting all passive aggressive and throwing out the thump, and here we go, you want sweet tea or unsweet tea, and, oh, you know, whatever, and just throwing little statements all night. Honey, it just it hurts my feelings when I, when I do this for you because I love you and, and you're just not here on time. See, that, that, that all automatically dissolves the conflict. You've, you've said how you feel, and you, okay. Honey, you said you were going to work on the door and on the garage for the last three weeks. Here, can you just, in the next three weeks, here's three things that I really, it would make me feel like, like you really love us. And, and if you just take care of these three things in the next couple of weeks, it'd be great. Right? Where do you go? Where, where do you go with that? Or, honey, you're always spending time with the kids and, you, you know, and, I, and I love the kids, but we haven't had a romantic night in weeks. Would Friday or Saturday night work? We'll ship the kids out. We'll, you know, we'll lock them in the closet. We'll do something with them, you know. But would that work? Can we just get some time, you and me? Because just, you know, even at the office, it, you know, when you guys leave me out of these discussions, it feels, it feels like you're leaving me out and I don't, I don't feel like I'm behind and it kind of hurts my feelings because I really want to help out. A soft answer. It's learning how to resolve these things and not just kind of let it fester, right? Keep your eye. One of the quickest ways you blow your testimony is through your temper. Right? If you're the guy at the office, you always have to walk. Oh, he's had a bad day. Weekend. Eggshells around. Or at the house. It's just, it's, it's something that nothing blows a testimony quicker than an anger, an anger outburst. He says, hey, you're a new team. Keep your, keep your emotions. Be under control. Walk by the Spirit. Right? Keep your eye on your integrity. Keep your eye on your emotions. Verse 28, next one. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Right? And the idea here is don't, you know, not, we're not talking about shoplifting and, you know, stick them up. This is a hold up. That's not the idea here. Robbing the 7-Eleven. The idea is, hey, we need to have a new thought process on work. You're on a new team. You need to think differently. You need to think biblically about what, what, what does a theology of work look like? What does the Bible teach about work? Young folks, this is essentially you grasp this. 
right? The command to work and be creative and till the land and be fruitful and all these great things. Was that before the fall or was it after the fall? It was before the fall. God says, I want you to work with your hands and I want you to be creative. You're going to name every single animal, right? I want you to use your mind. I want you to use your hands. I want you to you, you be passionate about this. Go work. And we have a culture that work has become something terrible. And so you, the goal is to do as little as possible, to get as much as possible with as little effort as possible. That's, that's the heart, right? I want to come out and make $1,000 an hour and I don't want to do anything except chase, chase Facebook. That's what I want to do. Can you pay me to check Facebook, right? right? But what if the church started having a biblical view of work where God specifically created you and he gave you gifts and he gave you passions and, there, and he created you in such a way that you were meant to reflect him in the workplace, that, that when you are out working and creating and doing and serving and behind the scenes or whatever it is, that you are actually a reflection of God Almighty who worked for six days. Is rest good? Rest is biblical. It's great. And work is great because God has created and is a reflection of what he has called us to do. And so the third, keep your eye, is keep your eye on your work. Is be diligent. Do, do great things. You know, God, some of you are so gifted. God has created you to do the very thing you are doing. God has created you to teach people math. You are weird and we don't get you. But that's how God created you. And it's great because you're helping people think about logical things and, and work through these things. Some of you are created to, to, to be artists and take photographs to, to reflect the heavens and the glory of God. Some of you are created to chase bad guys and protect us and fly helicopters at high speed at low altitude. And that's where you are created. Some of you are created to teach little kids. Some of you are created to cook, to write, to be behind the scenes and making this organization go, to do administrative things. Some of you are created to be great mothers and raise great leaders in future generations. And we need to understand that the way God has specifically created you and made you, that that is a reflection of him. And it is worship that he wants you to rock that out. He wants you to be a banker and help people with their money and finances and be good stewards. And that's how he's created you. And it is worship. And when you do that unto him, Colossians 3.23, it's like you're offering this here. Take this, Lord. Be glorified in this. Make the manifold wisdom of God known at this place. And it is a beautiful thing when the church recognizes that. How would that change your philosophy of Monday morning? Some Christian ought to open a a restaurant, TGIM, right? Thank God it's Monday. How would that move in you to when you go to work tomorrow, when you go do the the school or whatever you're doing, that you go to class, that you are going to be the worker that reflects God there. And if your best is a B plus, then make that B plus unto God. If you're on the soccer team, You need to get on the baseball team. But if you're on the soccer team, that your coach should want 10 more like you. Not even necessarily you're the best player, but just I need 10 more people like this on my team. It's just just worship. God gives it value. He said, work with your hands. It reflects the glory of God. It gives value. There's a great scene in Charlie Brown's Christmas, right? Which is theologically probably the best cartoon ever. Um, but this girl, Frida, who's got curly hair, she's, she's partnered with Pigpen. And she says, I can't go on. There's too much dust. It's taking the curl out of my naturally curly hair. And Charlie Brown, the great encourager and shepherd of the people, comes in and says, don't think out of his dust. 
Think of it as maybe the soil of some great past civilization. Maybe the soil of ancient Babylon. It staggers the imagination. He may be carrying the soil that was trod upon by Solomon or even Nebuchadnezzar. And Pigben says, sort of makes you want to treat me with more respect, doesn't it? Right? Because there's value there. He's like, it's valuable. That's what he said. Like, your work is valuable. You're on a new team. Reflect the glory of God. You don't have to be a missionary to Zimbabwe to have value. If God has put you in that place, that is worship. Right? And so when you're working, don't, it's not about getting out early. It's not about longer lunches. It's not about cutting corners. It's about doing the best you can at your work for the glory of God. That, and in the purpose, what is the purpose? Go back to the verse. Verse 28, it's not so you can climb the corporate ladder, that you can make more money, that you can retire at 52 and go collect seashells on your sailboat in the Cayman Islands. It's so that you may have something to share. So God blesses you. Why? So you can turn around and bless other people. God gives you, he wants you to pay your bills, you be a good steward, do all those things. But then he wants you to share what he's given to you. So he blesses you to be a blessing. That's, that's the idea. That's, that's a biblical theology of work. It is worship. He's created you with gifts and abilities that you would reflect him. Now take what he's done, go worship him in the workplace. And whatever he gives you, be willing to give it to others. That's, that's the biblical work. That's, that's you know, work 101. Right? And he says, that's, that's what it's about. You're on the new team. Do it. Do it well. For the glory of God. Keep your eye on your work. Keep your eye on your integrity. Keep your eye on your emotions. Let's continue. Verse 29. Let not corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Great word, this word corrupting, it literally means rotten. For those who have kids and have lunch boxes, we get this. Because sometimes it gets lost for like a month. And you open it up and there's that apple that was supposed to be eaten. And it's got fungi and animals crawling in it, right? And you open it up and it's just like a wave of, you you want to gag, right? No one wants to eat that thing. The aromas just makes you sick. And if you ate it, you would get sick. That word for rotten, that's the idea here. That no rotten blows your nostrils out, makes you sick. Let no word come out of your mouth. None. Right? But only is such as good for building up. He says, keep your eye on your words. And we'll come back to what BFG stands for in a minute. He says, there's nothing in here about tearing down. There's nothing in here about just keeping it real. Everything is about building. Building. You've got to recognize that your words are powerful and that you can give life or you can label for life just as easily. You're worthless. You're ugly. You're fat. You're this. You have no value here. I wish I would never married you. I wish you were never born. Whatever it is. The power to build or the power to destroy. And I'm thinking about this this week and with my four kids. And I'm thinking, how often as a dad do I fail? And I am busy correcting everything they do and trying to manage their behavior. And I'm not building up. And I spend my, so much time in the imperative mood and commands rather than the indicative mood. Just statements. It broke my heart to think that I could, I could destroy. But just always, you do this, do this, do this, do this. No, 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 no. I, I had a chance this week. I'm studying this passage. I'm out at the Starbucks and I'm talking with a, a believer who goes to another church and I know him real well. And he's telling me about the situation that's going on over here. And, I, and I'm not even going to get into it. But I had an opportunity at that point, And I knew all the undergirdings and I knew more than he knew. And it was like he had a rosy view of it and I knew the real view. And I wanted so bad to tell him the real truth. Because I'm a wretch. Because that's the way we are. We, we know something bad. 
We want to tell people because it makes us look better. By God's grace, I kept my mouth shut that time. I'm thinking, that's, that's a hard. He says, none. No rotten words. Right? Only those what? That build. Only those that are fitting. No one stands up in the middle of a funeral. Popcorn, peanuts. Woo! Right? Why? Because it's not fitting. It doesn't fit the occasion. The Proverbs say a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's just beautiful. When it's, sometimes a fitting word might be no word. Do you realize that? Sometimes nothing might be fitting. Maybe your opinion is not needed at this. Maybe to know how you would have done it is not necessary. Right? The Bible has a ton, a ton to speak about words, right? Right? Jesus says a ton about it. Just a couple passages you can look at, but he says this in, in Luke 6, the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person, evil. For the, out of the abundance of the heart, its mouth speaks. I didn't mean to say that. Yeah, you did. You just didn't mean it to be heard. You didn't mean the consequences to be... But you meant it because it's in your heart and your heart spoke it. He says, so it's a heart issue. He says later in Matthew 12, I tell you on the day of judgment that people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you'll be justified. Your words, you'll be condemned. Words matter. Read the book of James. Read the Proverbs. It's about, words are huge. Right? Huge. And so he says what? BFG. What is BFG? It doesn't stand for Bill Fowler's great, although that may be very well the case, but that's not what it means. B. Does it build? James says we should be slow to speak. And so before we speak, before we post something on Facebook, before we whatever, ask, does it build? Does it build? Is it fitting the situation? Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But does it fit? And does it show grace to the hearer? Does it point them towards the cross? Does it point them toward Christ? Is there grace involved? Is your speech seasoned with grace as with salt, knowing how you should respond to every person? See, that, that's the idea. Innuendo, making light of serious things like hell. Hell no, hell yeah. That, that's, that's not fitting, Right? Taking the name of Christ in a way that is flippant. I mean, I'm not going to take my wedding ring off and chuck it in the back and stomp on it. Why? This is valuable to me because of what it represents. The name of Christ is valuable, so it shouldn't be used flippantly. See, those, those are not fitting. What is fitting? Things like saying, thank you. Thank you for doing that. For serving this way. When you're going through the line at Target and you see the girl and she's got her little name tag. You say, Jody. Thank you for, for doing this. Doing a good job. Right? Call her, only call her Joni if her name is Joni. Don't call her Joni if her name is like Bob or something. Right? <laughs> right? But just being purposeful with your words. Be specific when you tell people when you encourage them. I know that the, the greatest encouragement to my heart was someone says, this is what was encouraging to me and this is why, boom. And it's like, ah, oh, like apples and settings of silver. Right? Honey, thank you for making this meal. I know it took a lot of time. You had to go put the kids somewhere. You had to go to Publix. You had to do these. Thank you. Honey, thank you for taking care of us and meeting our needs. You did a great job. You're a great dad. You're a great mom. You did a great job on this paper, son. Man, a B plus. You haven't got a B plus yet. It's not, well, I used to get A minuses. He also used to lift 715 pounds, right? 
just building, right? It's what we're called to do. Isn't that what he said last week? We looked a couple weeks ago. We build one another till we all attain the unity of faith. So building, right? Keep your eye on your mouth. Keep your eye on your mouth. And, and the reason, the big reason he says back here in verse 30, he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by God whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You know, if we... This is linked to this command. And so if you, if you could say, well, what sin grieves the Holy Spirit? What's the big, biggest sin that grieves the Holy Spirit? Some of us would say, well, terrorism. That's on the front of our mind. Or immorality or, you know, drugs or alcohol or whatever it is. We go to those ways. Where he goes, he says, this is what grieves the Holy Spirit. When you don't talk like someone who's been redeemed. The Holy Spirit has sealed you for the day of redemption, the day of hope. And when you, when you don't talk that way, you act like you have no hope or no redemption. When you are walking by the Spirit, we'll see in chapter 5, you speak to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart towards God. There's thankfulness. When you're walking by the flesh, then, you're, then there's the criticism. And look, there's, there's times for truth and hard truth. It's not what we're saying. But even in those places, the goal is to what? Build. Build. Keep your eye on your mouth. Keep your eye on your words. Right? Last one. Verse 31 and 32. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Like we could do word searches and all these words, bitterness, wrath, redemption. You know what I mean? Clamor, slander, law. You know what bitterness is. <laughs> I don't need to tell you what slander is. You've seen it. You've done it. And he says, let all, circle all, let all of it be put away, along with all Malice. He says, keep your eye on your attitude. Instead of those things, he says, put those away and be what? Be kind. And this is not kindness to just be kind. Be kind, rewind, right? Some of you remember that. Some of you are like, what's that mean? There was these things called VCRs that existed at one point in the world. And they had, you could rent a video and you would have to rewind it, right? Okay. Be kind. And, and no one wonders what a kind person, no one walks away from a conversation. Was that a kind person or mean? Was that a kind disagreement? Was that a kind boss? Am I a kind person? No one, you know what kind is. Right? So be kind when you're in line at Target and they're taking a little extra. Be kind when you go through the drive-thru and you know it should have taken a lot less time. But be kind. Be kind to the person and let them in. Be kind to the person who let you down. To your teacher, to your parents, to your opponents. Be kind. Be tenderhearted. There's compassion there. Then the biggie. And forgive. And it's in the present tense. Forgiving. Constantly forgiving. Right? Forgiving. Ultimately, what he's saying here is just treat other people like Jesus treated you. He was kind to you. He was compassionate to you. He forgave you. Right? And remember, you were his enemy. And he did it. So that means you do it to your enemy. That means you do it to your ex-spouse. It means you do it to the competitor who put you out of business. Or he's cheating and you're being honest. And he's winning and you're losing in the, in the money game. The, the soccer mom who slanders your kid and you. Be kind. Forgive. Release. And forgiveness is not, just real quick, and we could talk about what forgiveness is not and for, is for, for years. But forgiveness is not diminishing what they've done and it's not covering what they've done. And it's not enabling an addict to continue. And it's not saying, you know, if, if your life's in danger because your husband's abusive. It's, forgiveness is not just forgetting. No, you can forgive him and you can call the cops. Because that's justice. Forgiveness is not just trusting where you're picking up where you left off. If he's been in an adulterous affair and or in, in, in lying to you, 
It's not just pick up where you left off. Trust is easily destroyed and it takes a long time to build. Forgiveness, what it is, is releasing a debt. It's releasing control that they have over you because you're up all night with anger fantasies thinking about how you're going to get back at them or what you're going to do if this happens again. Right? It's forsaking revenge. It's letting God deal with that because vengeance is him. And it's an ongoing, continual process. It's 70 times 7. How many times? Until, until the cows come home. That's what it is. Because why? Because God in Christ forgave you. And he goes back to God in Christ forgiving you. So I, just, I, I don't know if I can do that. You don't know what they've done. It's unfair. It's unjust. Agreed. But was Jesus ever sinned against? Yes. Did Jesus ever sin against anyone else? No. He is the most innocent victim to ever live. And he did not become bitter. He forgives. How does he do it? By the power of the spirit. The same spirit that dwells in you. See, it's really a miracle for a bitter, angry person to forgive and release. And that miracle is the Holy Spirit of God living in you who enables you to forgive because God in Christ forgave you. And you are never more like God when you are loving your enemies. And you are never more like Christ when you are giving the opposite of what they deserve. So I just don't feel like it. I can't, I'm not emotionally there. And I get that too. Because if I read the garden and I've guessed so many narratives, right? Jesus emotionally was not there. He was father. If there's a plan B, I'd like to do it. But if not, your will be done. I will follow you to the cross. But some of you, if you just take that one step, maybe today, and it's not complete, maybe, but it's just one step of obedience. Lord, I'm, li- I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to start talking about this and and start releasing and trust you in that that god can change your heart because that's what he does and 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 the book of romans says look if it's possible for you live peaceably math jesus in matthew 5 says look if you're at the altar and you're about to give your offering and you remember oh man i got this guy's got something against me leave it there and go home and fix it so the principle there is look You go and try as best as you can. And if you're only 2% wrong and they're 98% wrong, then you own up to your two and you don't bring up their 98. That's what Jesus does. That's what he does. That's what he did for you. Because you were 100% in the wrong and he pursued you. You were not seeking him. He was seeking you. You were his enemy. And this is hard for us to grasp. Sometimes I get. I think it's because we just don't understand the devastation of, of what we did. But think about it. We think, oh, this, these terrorists in Boston, they deserve whatever. They deserve justice, yes. But you know what? They killed a few people. You killed the Son of God. All we like sheep had gone astray. Each one turned to his own way. And the Lord, the God, Father, laid on him, the Son, the iniquity of us all. So you are responsible for the death of God. And so he says, because I forgive you of the death of my son, you murdered my son, then you are to go forgive. And that's, that's a challenge, I know. But that's the beauty of when we understand the beauty of the gospel. But we have been freed that we were an enemy under wrath and he has made us his children, his heirs, to share in his glory. He said, now I can do that in you if you will let me by my spirit. Instead of lying awake at night having anger fantasies, you can release and say, God, I'll let you deal with that. Right? Keep your eye on your attitudes. Be kind and forgive because you've been forgiven. Because you've been forgiven. Right? Look, I didn't say these things were easy. I said they were simple. Keep your eye on your integrity. Be honest on your emotions. Be under control on your work. Be diligent on your words. Building, fitting, giving grace in your attitude. And I, and I realize that, that that's a lot. You're like, oh my goodness, that's a lot. 
These are a lifelong pursuit. That's why I said it's something that the day you were born again, all the way to the day you're glorified until Jesus comes back. Just like A-Rod's got to keep his eye on the ball, we keep our eye on the ball. But which one this morning do you know is the one that's like, ooh, this is the one. I hold grudges. I don't work hard. I kind of get by. I'm skating. I'm, I'm tearing down more than I'm building up. I trust the Spirit of God in you enough to, to say, this is you. Maybe you're, not the, maybe you're working hard. Maybe you're working too hard so much that you're, you're, avoid, you're ignoring your family. But whatever it is, we come back to the cross, say, okay, I'm on this team because God put me on this team. This is my new uniform. I'm in my new uniform. I'm clothed in Christ. I'm going to keep my eye on these things. And we go back to the cross and we confess our sin and we embrace forgiveness because he loves us. We persevere. Right? And we continue to do so until he comes back. And that's the, that's the heart of the passage. That's what Paul's saying. He's like, let, let your light shine before men. They may see your works. Glorify your father. Walk in the light as you are children in the light. And this is it. This is basic. You're like, what am I supposed to do as a Christian? These are... These are very simple. Not to make you a Christian. Because you are. Because you're on the team. Anything else leads to legalism or moralism. I'm a good person because of this. No. You're in Christ because you put your faith. You understand you were a sinner separated by him. You turned from your sin and you repented and you believed in him. That's why you're on this team. He says, now, walk in a manner worthy. Keep your eye on these things. We're going to worship. Just... Why don't you just sit in your seats for a little bit. I'll ask the team to come up. And this first song that they're going to lead us in, it's really a prayer. Um, make this your prayer. That, that your heart would be in tune with, with this, this prayer. Uh, and then when you're ready to stand and worship, go ahead. Uh, but they're going to lead us. Just ask God to, to move in you and to change you and to make you more like his son, Jesus. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your goodness towards us. And I thank you for your word. We are broken, but yet we are redeemed uh, and rescued. We come back to your cross. We boast in it and what you have done. Uh, be glorified as we sing, as we pray. Uh, but most importantly then, as we, as we leave and go and take these truths into to our lives. Uh, and so, uh, just be honored and glorified and exalted. And Lord, for the person here this morning who, who doesn't know you, uh, to just they would have their eyes open to the beauty of the gospel and the cross and what you've done for them. And loving them so much that you died for their sins and rose again. It's in your risen name, Lord Jesus, we pray.